Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is late. It is 3.48 p.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 20th of May, 2020. This is episode 241 of Bitcoin and... Simply flooded the system with money. Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we, as a central bank, we have the ability to create money uh, digitally. And we do that by buying treasury bills or, or bonds or other government-guaranteed securities. And that, that actually increases the money supply. We also print actual currency and we distribute that through the federal reserve banks yes i'll bet you do i'll bet you do good god almighty jerome powell there embarrassing the living daylights out of all sensibilities on the entire planet but we have better things to talk about first thing i want to do is get into a little bit of community news i'm going to talk about uh the citadel 21 volume 2 is dropping i think tomorrow or later on tonight kind of always hard to tell because you know other part of the world, you know, people are doing shit. So whatever. Anyway, they say, or uh, this is Bitcoin Katya says, when we brainstormed on uh, Citadel 21, we didn't have any expectations. It would be cool even with a project for 20 people, but it grows. And seeing many voices is so inspiring. Thank you. This is good for Bitcoin. Nice. Totally nice, man. Totally nice. Uh, let me see here. Uh, I need to get one thing, get my triggers up. Okay. <clears throat> it's okay. You don't need to know what my triggers are here. All right. So, uh, and dad is yelling at me, uh, and I really need him to stop yelling at me. Uh, let's see. This is uh, going to be Robert Kiyosaki, the guy that wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He tweeted out, New York City going broke. Of course, most of this tweet, y'all, is in like all caps. It's bad form. It kind of is because it's like you're yelling. And, you know, this is poor dad, rich dad. So dad's yelling at me. New York City going broke. All cities count on income tax, sales tax, and real estate taxes, especially commercial real estate. Add pension contributions for teachers, firefighters, and police. USA going broke. Fed printing fake dollars cannot save you. Get gold, silver, Bitcoin, and save yourself. <laughs> So even dad gets it, bro. Even dad gets it. Now the sad part of the community news. Well, okay. Yeah, there's two things that are sad, but one is in, in our, in my direct community. This is at tech Balt, has some ongoing issues with YouTube. Uh, there's a Reddit post here that I want to read to you that uh, tech Balt, also known as Adam Meister, the disrupt Meister of the one Bitcoin show and more. Uh, he has taken to Reddit this time to kind of give us the heads up of what the hell's going on. 
So let me just read this to you so you can determine how to help uh, Adam Meister yourself, if you so choose to do so. On April the 1st, 2020, my 16,000 subscriber Bitcoin channel was taken down as part of the crypto purge that targeted many cryptocurrency related channels. I immediately appealed to move since I had no prior violations or warnings 1.5 months later. And I have not heard back from YouTube. I know that the virus situation has made, made policing the site difficult and that more mistakes are going to be made with less real people monitoring. I assume this was a mistake made by some sort of automated mechanism. Other channel owners went on social media crusades on Twitter and were able to get their channels reinstated. I decided to follow the guidelines given to me in the generic email that YouTube sent me. Now I am trying this posting on Reddit. This was the URL of my Bitcoin Meister channel and he gives that link. I have over 1600 videos on there, which I have created over 12 years. So many hours of work gone with no warning. I never cursed in my videos. I made this a family-friendly channel that focused on education. And then out of the blue on April Fool's Day, my channel is gone without a warning or a strike. I hope my channel can be reinstated and I have access back to all my hard work. I would love to hear back from a real person instead of an automated email. In a perfect world, the channel would just appear again and we could all move on with life. Thank you. Hey, uh, give Adam Meister a hand. Uh, on Twitter, his handle is at TechBalt, B-A-L-T. That's all one word, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. Give the man a hand because honestly, it's complete and total, utter garbage bullshit. Now, let's get into some kind of sad news. Now, I didn't know the guy. I didn't, I never communicated with the cat I'm about to talk to at all. But a lot of the people that I inter have interacted with over the years apparently thought the world of this guy. So I'm going to give you the news. This is coming from Will Heisman uh, sometime this morning from Decrypt.co. Bitcoin cult figure dies in Thailand under unknown circumstances. Dude, mm, you've heard it. I've heard it, and now we're all going to hear it together. A cryptocurrency trader known pseudonymously under the Twitter handle at ActualAdviceBTC and by his friends as Ben has died. According to a former Bitcoin trader known as Crypto Cobain, Ben died in his sleep within the last few days. Crypto Cobain said that he was likely in either Bangkok or Chiang Mai, Thailand when he died. Uh, according to reports, Ben was a cult figure in the Bitcoin community and was known for trading millions of dollars of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on a trading desk. He had been involved in the community since as far back as 2014. Quote, he was a legend. The spirit of crypto Twitter leaves with him, Crypto Cobain told Decrypt. Bitcoin Futures Exchange BitMEX CEO Arthur Hayes said, rip at actual advice BTC. He was a true friend and a legend. Our magic internet money ecosystem won't be the same without him. Much love. Binance CEO Shang Peng Zhao tweeted, My condolences. So sorry for your loss and our loss. Crypto Cobain shared several memories of Ben. Quote, Back in 2014 or something, we held too much of a shit coin that had no volume or market. Wrote it off as lost money. Not Ben. Quote, Fuck this. Unacceptable. I will find liquidity. End quote. Took a plane to Tel Aviv or something. Next week, there's an OTC buyer for the whole ticket. What a kid, he wrote. 
love Kurt. In 2017, Pink Mania, I was trying to buy the their the discounted tier of some ICO, and I needed seven more BTC. I asked him if he wanted to throw in seven BTC and sent him the address. He misunderstood and sent me seven million dollars instead. <laughs> How embarrassing when I had to explain it was a smaller deal and send back. He added uh, another pseudonymous trader. I am nomad reference to the time Ben paid two Bitcoin worth $20,000 today to create a South Park parody of BitMEX. The Bitcoin corner of Twitter was flooded with messages of condolences. Quote, I'll miss you. Actual advice BTC popular trader and developer known as Romano who had been a friend of Ben since 2013, tweeted, you left your footprints here with glory. You were a legend and a real cult figure in crypto, end quote. Diane, Diana Biggs, head, global head of innovation for private banking at HSBC, was a close friend. Quote, Ben would always take a selfie when I was ignoring him on my phone. So this is a reminder to stop looking at your phone when you're with people you love in real life while you have them. Damn, man, that's some cold shit right there. Quote, Rip Ben, Crypto Cobain added, you truly changed my life. Thank you for being a friend and guiding me through crypto when I was new. And I have read, that's the end of the thing, but I've read a lot of these tweets, especially from Crypto Cobain. And man, there's a, that dude has got some stories about this guy, Ben. Now, again, I never personally interacted with the guy, but since so many people did, I can only assume at this point, that the cat had been around the space for years and was very, very active. What they're not saying about this cat is that he's he was or is in the pictures he looks pretty young. It's not like this dude is a you know 85, 95 year old guy that made a friends with a bunch of young bucks chilling out on Twitter and then kicked the bucket. No, this guy, this guy is like a regular guy, young died in his sleep. I don't know what from, but dude, rip, man. Sounds like he was at least a lot of fun, even if he was quite a bit of a shit coiner. I mean, come on, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, let me see. Let me make sure that I didn't skip one here. Uh, yeah, John McAfee. Here we roll. John McAfee admits ghost is copy-pasted from Pivx, threatens lawsuit. Jesus. Okay, this one is uh, from Stephen O'Neill over at Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Eccentric cryptocurrency advocate John McAfee admitted his anonymity-oriented project Ghost copy-pasted parts of its white paper from the documentation for open-source privacy coin Pivx in a series of tweets today. He nonetheless appears to intend to sue Pivx for defamation. Earlier this week, Pivx developers claimed that the ghost white paper was plagiarized from an outdated 2018 Pivx white paper, according to them. At least 20 of the 26 total pages of the ghost white paper contain material directly plagiarized from the 2018 Pivx white paper. At the time, a representative for Ghost explained to Cointelegraph that their starting code base's forked version of Pivx, although Ghost has allegedly done a lot of improvements to the code. <laughs> Are we there? Are we there? Do I have it? Sell, sell, sell. I sure as shit do have it. Okay. At the time, oh, wait, wait. Pivx in turn argued that while their product can be used as long as copyright credits are maintained in the code, their white paper is not open sourced and was fully copyrighted in 2018. So much for open source. Honestly, guys, that's all that really needs to be said for this one. Uh, Yeah, John McAfee is crazy. The man 
is uh, he's entertaining his shit, but dude, the man is off his rocker. Of course, when you're doing as much drugs as John McAfee is doing, it's kind of not surprising. This one, Satoshi Nakamoto's original Bitcoin BTC site set to go through major transition. Daily Hodel staff writing this for dailyhodel.com sometime today. Bitcoin.org, which was registered by Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto and developer Marty Malmi in 2008, is set to go through a major transition with the domain's current owner announcing he's preparing to step down, bro. In a new post on GitHub, Pseudonymous Cobra Bitcoin announced his plan to leave the site, which is designed to teach newcomers about the leading cryptocurrency. He says he is still looking for the right people to ensure the site is placed into, quote, trusted hands. Ooh, trusted. While Bitcoin is a decentralized digital currency powered by miners around the world, the website is managed by a handful of contributors who have the final say when it comes to the material that is published. Cobra is urging his successors to keep the goal of mass adoption in mind. Quote, with Bitcoin being as complicated as it is for new people to understand, sites like Bitcoin.org are key to getting more mainstream adoption, especially in avoiding getting Bitcoin labeled as some get rich scheme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least he's got that part right. Cobra hasn't released an exact timeline for his departure, but says he hopes to be completely removed from Bitcoin.org by the end of the year. Quote, over the years, I'm glad to have helped contribute to a project that has let so many millions of people learn about Bitcoin. It's really a massive honor. So one has to ask oneself, where the hell is Cobra, Cobra going? I mean, honestly, where, you know, what, and what prompted it? Nobody really knows. Well, I'm sure there's somebody that probably really knows, but the most of us are not really sure what the hell's going on here. But remember, this is not, we're not talking about Bitcoin.com, okay? That's Roger's Roger Verse Circus that that promotes that trash coin of his. Cobra Bitcoin, while he has it, you know, infuriated the the Bitcoin proper space more than a handful of times, I might add, is not the same as Roger Ver. And this is Bitcoin.org we are talking about, not Bitcoin.com. Be careful with that shit. Class action lawsuit filed against Block One, the company behind shit, I mean, uh, EOS. This is Brave New Coin. Bryce Gilbraith writing this one sometime yesterday. The company that conducted the initial coin offering for the EOS token, Block One, has had a class action lawsuit filed against them in the Southern District of New York. The suit alleges that the company defrauded the plaintiffs through a year-long illegal ICO that raised more than four billion that's with a b but left investors with an unregulated asset the class action suit comes just month months after the company settled with the sec and paid a meager measly a pittance of 24 million dollars for conducting an unregistered ico the sec found black block dot one in violation of federal securities laws for the online crowdfunding event hosted from June 2017 until June 2018, the SEC issued a cease and desist order in September of 2019 against the further sale of Block.1's tokens, determining that they were securities under the law and had been sold without proper registration. Founded in 2017, the company sold shit token, I mean EOS tokens on the Ethereum network to fund development 
The company's primary product is EOS.io, an open source blockchain platform, Block One, has operations in Virginia and Hong Kong, but is registered, guess where, in the Caymans. <laughs> the company sold 900 million EOS tokens by aggressively marketing to investors in the United States and other countries. Once the EOS network became operational, the company swapped the Ethereum-based EOS tokens for digital tokens on the EOS network. The offering was accompanied by a Times Square billboard at, God, I remember that shit, an ambitious white paper, presentations by company principals at blockchain conferences and meetups, and promotion via crypto-focused online news and investor outlets. Shilling the corn, bro. As the complaint states, quote, defendants worked cooperatively to promote EOSIO as the next superior version of existing blockchains. The company agreed to an SEC settlement without admitting or denying the agency's findings. The latest suit was filed by Crypto Assets Opportunity Fund, LLC, and Johnny Hong. The lawsuit lists Block One. Its CEO, Brandon Bloomer, CTO, Daniel Larimer, former Block One partner, Ian Grigg, and former advisor, Brock Pierce, as defendants. The plaintiffs allege a breach of fiduciary duty and unjust enrichment by defendants who provided investors with false and misleading information about EOS. According to the complaint, Crypto Assets Opportunity Fund LLC and Hong claimed to have purchased tokens on a secondary market after the sale, which, as reported at the time, brought in an estimated $4 billion. That's billion with a B. The complaint alleges that the consequences of the willful evasion of regulations was to blind the ICO investors, depriving them of disclosures regarding Block One's financial history, operations, and budget, executive compensation, material trends, risk factors, and other information required by law company also failed to disclose that it was the subject of a government investigation during the 2019 SEC investigation, quote, to drive the demand for and increase profit from the sales of EOS securities. Defendants further violated the securities laws by making materially false and misleading statements about EOS, which artificially inflated the price for the EOS securities. Oh, I like how they named it the EOS securities and damaged unsuspecting investors. The complaint reads, the plaintiffs lean on Block One's past legal issues with the SEC using the title EOS Securities for the company's token throughout. Ooh, nice stroke, bro. The complaint alleges that defendants told prospective investors that EOS stood for Ethereum on steroids. Jeez. However, sorry. However, by not outperforming other blockchains, not disclosing significant internal disagreements and failing to decentralize sufficiently, the complaint alleges that Block One misled investors. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. James Katula, CEO of hedge fund uh, Typhon Capital Management and Securities Lawyer, said, quote, institutional funds that were lied to by Block One have a duty to all their investors, large and small, to take action against fraudsters and con artists. He continued, we believe in the cryptocurrency space, which is why those who exploit it for naked personal gain need to be held accountable. Where the SEC only dipped a toe into upholding securities laws and protecting investors, our action encourages those who were swindled by this biggest of all crypto frauds to join us in pressing the courts for justice and restitution. Okay, yeah. There we go. Oh, there's more. Wait, Daniel Berger, director at Grant and Eisenhofer, 
And veteran class action litigator said, quote, investors of all types deserve to be treated equitably and honestly. This lawsuit is an important means to redress the brazenly unlawful conduct that Block One exhibited in defrauding investors through its EOS token offering. Sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. Oh, yeah. Get rid of that shit, man. You want to have nothing to do with this bag of crap. Oh, speaking of more bags of crap, BlockFi data breach could have been prevented, Bitcoin experts say. Frank Cardona writing this for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. If you haven't heard by now, a whole bunch of private data just got leaked. Uh, They said no funds were stolen, but now everybody knows how much all these people have and it was all kinds of neat stuff, man. They may not be able to get their funds, but not now anyway. But yeah, see, KYC, this is why KYC and AML shit, this is why you don't want to put up with it. It's a honeypot. No matter where you go, what you do, you know, it's like just waiting to be plucked up by some kind of unscrupulous fraudster like, I don't know, Craig Wright. Another day, another prominent Bitcoin service is breached. News broke out this morning that hackers had compromised accounts belonging to crypto lending firm BlockFi by using SIM swaps, a common tactic hackers use to essentially steal the identities of cell phone users by fooling cell providers, and the crypto community isn't taking the news well. Oh, we, so we trusted third parties or security holes, bro. The, the company said in an incident report sent to users that sensitive information from accounts such as names, email, addresses, dates of birth, physical addresses, see there's where it gets sticky, man, and activity histories were related or, I'm sorry, revealed to the hackers. According to BlockFi, however, the hackers were not able to access other personal, personally identifiable data, including social security numbers, tax identification numbers, passports, licenses, passwords, bank account information, account preferences, and photo IDs. Well, who needs all that shit when I can just roll up to your house, bro? I mean, remember, the personal addresses of these people are among the the issues that got leaked. At that point, I don't give a shit about your social security number. If I know you're holding Bitcoin, well, not me, because I, I'm, I, I don't roll this way, but if I was unscrupulous, okay, I, I wouldn't really need it. If I could determine that you were a value target, I would be on a plane. I would be trying to break into your house. So I, I mean, this is dangerous shit, y'all. Nevertheless, the news appears to have alarmed BlockFi clients and kicked up a storm of controversy on Twitter, especially among privacy-minded Bitcoiners. Bitcoin privacy expert and Tales from the Crypt podcast host Matt O'Dell told Decrypt that he's personally disappointed in the lack of public disclosure on BlockFi's website related to the hack. The incident report of the breach was dated May the 14th, but was only sent to users this morning and was not posted to BlockFi's website. Dude, instead, what users got was a hand-waving post about 2FA and whitelisting addresses, said Odell, seemingly before the news of the breach went public this morning since the blog post was posted yesterday and updated today. Quote, the fact that marketing personnel have access to this sensitive privacy information is troubling on its own. But the fact that a simple SIM swap allowed malicious actors to get access is even worse, Odell says. <clears throat> it shows a complete disregard for user privacy. That lack of privacy appears to be at the center of the controversy, since BlockFi does not allow for funds that have been put through Bitcoin mixers to be deposited on its platform, 
Funds mixed through CoinJoin, a service that obfuscates Bitcoin transactions are banned from BlockFi, which the company's CEO, Zach Prince, has said is due to concerns with regulations. The argument goes that if BlockFi users have been able to make use of CoinJoin and other mixers, then their data would not have been compromised by this breach. Not if you're AML KYC, dude, because that's whatever. According to crypto lawyer Rafael Jacobi, services like CoinJoin are not illegal, but blockchain forensic firms such as Chainalysis have convinced BlockFi and others to prohibit their use among their clients. Quote, using CoinJoin for deposits and withdrawals would have helped users mitigate the privacy concerns present with a hack like this. However, BlockFi is one of five companies that explicitly prohibits CoinJoin usage, Odell said. The malicious actor who compromised their system can now easily use deposit and withdraw addresses to track users' past and future transactions, as well as their balances, he said. Anti-CoinJoin policies are anti-users, end quote. Jacoby concurred, quote, If malicious actors obtain transaction histories linked to real names, he told Decrypt, users could now be vulnerable to targeted attacks since the hackers may be able to discern how much per Bitcoin a person owns and where that Bitcoin might be stored. Said Jacoby, quote, Dragnet information collection should be scrutinized and limited given the inherent risks associated with the unauthorized dissemination of sensitive private information and questionable value as an AML tool. What this will mean for BlockFi's business and for the trust that it may have lost among its users is yet to be determined. The company has yet to make any public comments about the hack other than the incident report. BlockFi CEO Zach Prince was not available to respond to Decrypt's request for an interview, probably because he was taking a giant shit. Because, I mean, if you were the CEO of a company that this happened to you too, you would, you should be changing your britches right about now because this is complete and utter bullshit. Now, um, what I did not see in this story was, from what I understand, who got SIM swapped was, in fact, like um, their market head of marketing. I mean, and the fact that they could SIM swap the head of marketing and gain access to the, all the financial and records is kind of amazing. I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how that's like, I don't know. That's like, I mean, not to be mean to marketing people, but why would you have any of the financial data? I mean, you, you should have the, the data that you need to know to communicate to the customer base and potential clients that you're trying to get on board. That should come from your CFO. But somehow or another, the whole kit and caboodle gets wiped out because the marketing guy gets SIM swapped? Dude, no, that's ridiculous, but it's also the end of part one of the morning roundup, which clearly is no longer the morning, whatever. Hey, I'll get into that later. Let's do the vitals. S&P 500 up 1.6%. NASDAQ is up 2%. Dow Jones is up 1.5%. And FTSE is up 1%. Everything else is meh, right? Uh, bonds, ah, all the yields got pushed down except for the Japan 10-year. It got a little jump, 0.002%, bringing it all the way up to negative 0.001% yield. 
Let's see what oil did. Oil had a banger day, almost 5% to the upside. West Texas Intermediate is last at $33.52 a barrel. Natural gas had a drop 2.68%, bringing it to 1.78. Gold, eh, meh, sideways. Silver, meh, well, almost a percent to the upside. It's 18 bucks an ounce. And wheat, well, we don't give a shit about that kind of commodity because, honestly, eat more beef. Seriously, you'll feel better. Real money time, Bitcoin is at $9,586. Looks like our low, is that going to be our low? No, our low is 9585 at P2PB2B. Looks like our uh, high is going to be chilling out over there at, let's see, yeah, uh, GDAX. 9,592 bucks. And no, I was wrong. Coinsbits got the low, 9,575. 290,000 transactions were made in the last 24 hours, giving us 12,000 transactions per hour on average. Sub 1 million BTC, 972,000 have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. And that means that about 40,500 BTC are being sent every hour on the hour. Average transaction value is 3.34 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.054 BTC. And holy shit, that's a high, bro. $521 is the value in USD of the median transaction value. Never, I don't think I've really seen it that high. Maybe a couple of times. But block times are high, as to be expected. Don't let the FUD get to you about this stuff, man. 12 minutes, 12 seconds. We have 1.67 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. And holy crap, 197 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, we have a precipitous drop in hash rate. But remember, this is bitinfocharts.com. We'll look at my note here in a sec. Uh, we have 7.19% drop. That brings us to sub 90 exahashes. We haven't been here in months. No, like like six months. <laughs> I mean, come on. Stop wetting the bed, y'all. 87.45 exahashes per second. And the last time nobody did anything uh, for Bitcoin, according to GitHub last commit, was sometime this morning. Ethereum at 210, Bcash at 240, BSV at 196, Litecoin at 44.25, Ethereum Classic at six and a half, Dogecoin holding it strong. Well, actually, no, it lost it lost a little bit, but it's still at 0.0025. And at 34,000 transactions per second, it's kicking Bitcoin Cash's ass. Bcash has only had 16,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. Litecoin has only had 33, so it's walking all up and down that asshole. Oh, but BSV has has close to a million transactions in the last 24 hours. That's a lot of weather data. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the only thing that actually uses the BSV blockchain is their own app that embeds weather data. I'm serious. Weather data as a transaction into their blockchain. Why? because nobody else will use that stinking pile of garbage. Now, my network or my node is saying that the network is at 92.5 exahashes per second. That's the day average. The weekly average is 95 exahashes per second. We have 48,000 pending transactions and it looks like the miners are doing their job. 
God dang, boy. The fees, bro. The fees. It looks like most of the blocks are full as far as the last 10 blocks are concerned. Moving on to Lightning Network, let's look at uh, Clark Moody Bitcoin. Bitcoin.clarkmoody.com says that the total capacity in the Lightning Network is 904.19 BTC, giving us about $8.64 million USD of liquidity over 7,014 nodes, covering 35,268 channels. Tor capacity is about 400 BTC. The percentage of the network that is Tor is 44.2%. The number of Tor nodes is 2,023. Uh, let's go to the mempool part. Uh, yeah, I'm showing 54,000 transactions chilling in the mem or in my mempool. Uh, there are 81 blocks to clear. The pending fees appear to be people are going to collect about 10, God, 11 BTC almost. Whoa, holy smokes, bro. And the uh, uh, my mempool size is 80.15 megabytes. That's a lot of corn. Why am I saying my mempool? Because I need to correct bad, bad habits uh, from me. I have a really bad habit of saying the mempool. It is not the mempool. Everybody who's running a node has a node mempool okay we all look at everybody looks at their own mempool and everybody else's mempool and we're all kind of saying we're all right okay everybody's correct we're good let's roll on to the next block it's not some mempool that's kept out on some one computer because that would not be decentralized so that's been a mistake of mine. I've been saying it. I need to correct it. That's what I'm doing. That's going to do it for Vitals. Retail investors are rapidly accumulating Bitcoin, boosting long-term outlook. Welcome. To part two of the snooze that you can use, Nick Chong writing this one for Bitcoinist.com sometime today. When Bitcoin crashed to $3,700 this March, many were no doubt scared to invest. After all, when the crash transpired, there were traders and prominent traders at that, seriously expecting the cryptocurrency to fall off a price cliff, tone phase. Longtime commodities trader and Bitcoin investors, Peter Brandt, for instance, wrote on the day of the crash, Quote, if I interpret the chart without bias, I would say sub $1,000, end quote. Yet data has shown that since the crash, both retail and institutional investors have been accumulating BTC at a rapid clip. There's been such a strong influx of Bitcoin buyers that it may be the accumulators, not traders, that drove a majority of the recovery from March's crash. God, that would be awesome if true. According to crypto analytics firm Glassnode's co-founder and CTO, Raphael Schultz-Kraft, the number of Bitcoin addresses holding at least 0.1 BTC has risen by 14% over the past 12 months and by over 200,000 addresses since the start of the year. Quote, there are now more than 3 million Bitcoin addresses holding at least 0.1 coin, current value $975 USD. That's 14% more addresses than one year ago today. Schultz Craft wrote in reference to the chart below, and we have a chart showing the rise of the number of addresses holding more, more than or equal to 0.1 BTC. 
some of the addresses accumulating are likely larger players, but the rapid uptick in this metric signals strong retail interest in BTC. The trend of retail accumulation has been reflected in Bitcoin futures market. Crypto news aggregator Unfolded recently shared the chart below, indicating that the net position count of accounts on the CME deemed retail has hit an all-time high of over 2,300 contracts. Quote, May 12 CME Bitcoin commitment of traders report retail net position hits all-time high. Nice. And then there's a chart. Not going to describe it to you. Dude, retail. That's all you got to know. Institutions, too, are rushing to purchase Bitcoin like those on Main Street. As put best by Adamant Capital's Tour de Meester in a recent interview with Masari, it's a land grab phase in the BTC market, which has seen many institutional players try to dip their toes into the crypto water as fast as they can. This much was made clear by the entrance of Paul Tudor Jones, a billionaire hedge fund investors into the Bitcoin space this month. Jones wrote in a report, quote, at the end of the day, the best profit maximizing strategy is to own the fastest horse. Okay, that makes actually kind of a lot of sense. If I am forced to forecast, my bet will be Bitcoin. So we need to adapt our interment, or I'm sorry, our investment strategy. They missed a space there. It's actually shoved together all one word investment strategy, and it looks funky. We have updated the Tudor BVI offering memoranda to disclose that we may trade Bitcoin futures for Tudor BVI, end quote. The simultaneously simultaneous influx in retail and institutional demand bodes well for the flagship cryptocurrency. After all, Bitcoin, like almost any other market, is predicted on predicated, God, stop, stop it, is predicated on supply and demand. The strong increase in demand for BTC we have experienced coupled with the decrease in supply because of the halving should give Bitcoin a higher equilibrium price. Now, that's the end of the thing, but my comment on it is, yeah, watch that whole thing about institutions are coming. We've been burned by that shit before. I want retail to come. That, that's who I want. I would much rather have retail than a couple of big investment houses. Why? I don't know. It just feels more natural if you catch my drift. Uh, okay, getting into Orange Pill apparently is up for uh, Academy Awards here. New film Cryptopia takes every man approach to Bitcoin, blockchain, and the future of the interwebs. Well, they spell it internet, but they did it wrong. Whole Daily Odal staff doing this for the Daily Odal sometime yesterday. Lights, crypto, Bitcoin. Maybe you're staring at your bank account wondering how to catch more free cash from the government. Or maybe you're trying to wrap your brain around digital currencies that are supposed to change the world by reinventing money. If you're looking for a narrative that can turn the whole the wonky Bitcoin babble you've heard into digestible basics for normal people, Cryptopia, colon, Bitcoin, blockchains, and the future of internet may be for you. The documentary released online takes an everyman approach to breaking down the world's leading digital currency without the eye-glazing headache. <laughs> Filmmaker Torsten Hoffman is able to turbocharge the topic of cryptocurrencies by meeting up with industry leaders who shed light on Bitcoin as money, Bitcoin as relevant, and Bitcoin as revolutionary, leaving some of the mind-numbing jargon on the cutting room floor while also diving into the world of competing cryptocurrencies, Ethereum, Ripple, blockchain, and the evolution of the internet. 
The documentary fills the screen with relatable 3D animations that walk the viewer through Bitcoin, how it works, and why it's more than just a dollar bill. It's an entire ginormous global money system that re can record everybody's transactions. According to the filmmakers, quote, most financial analysts say you better stick to your shares and bonds and dollars. Bitcoin is dangerous nonsense, far too risky as investment. To others, Bitcoin is an escape hatch that will take them away from risk, an insurance against a financial doomsday, a way out of the debt crisis, negative interest rate, trade wars, and economic downturn. That's my bet. For Hoffman, who produced Bitcoin, the end of money as we know it, with Michael, can't pronounce his name, in 2015, their new film is about dispelling the mystery of a system that was built for people who eat popcorn and binge watch thrillers. No crypto secrets or locations or off limits in Cryptopia, adds the Melbourne-based Hoffman, quote, we were given access to a decommissioned military bunker in a secret location in Switzerland where allegedly 10% of all Bitcoin worth billions of dollars are secured. Hmm? Cryptic. Initially released in January in Australia, Cryptopia is now on pay-per-view. And then they give a link to where it's available on pay-per-view. So, that was it Cryptopia, Bitcoin blockchains and the future of money or the future of the internet uh, may be for you. Okay, so, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. But the reason I'm even bringing this to you is that this is the one, and here is the second Bitcoin in film showcase here. I mean, it's like Bitcoin, dude, Orange Coin's famous, man. Uh, was it uh, or Orange Coin famous? I think, make that a meme. I don't know. New Amazon Prime documentary shows how Bitcoin is changing Africa. Adriana Hamacher is pinning this one for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. It turns out that Africa is a perfect proving ground for Bitcoin, according to a documentary and companion report. Well, duh. Guys, if you've been in, in this space for any time at all, it should be relatively evident that the people that need this shit the most are not in the West. They are in Latin America. They are in Africa. And they are in every other corner of the world that ain't the West. Okay, so check it. Bitcoin came too late for Alakanani Iritilingi's little boy. He died before she could raise the money to pay for his surgery in South Africa. But it was through trying to save Paco that Alakanani was first introduced to Bitcoin. What she learned amazed her. And like many other people around the globe, she became an evangelist for the digital currency. Now known as Botswana's Bitcoin lady, nice. Uh, what's her face went on to found the educational nonprofit Satoshi Center, where she teaches others about how to use and profit from it and transform their lives. She's one of many aspiring Africans featured in Banking on Africa: The Bitcoin Revolution, the documentary shot by Tamarin Giriardi. I think it, I don't know, I'm butchering everybody's name today, for award-winning South African production house Documentit launches on Amazon Prime on Friday. It explores how Bitcoin pioneers in South, Southern Africa are surmounting the widespread challenges on the continent, poor infrastructure, mismanaged economies, high remittance fees, and widespread, widespread poverty with crypto. A comprehensive report on the African Bitcoin ecosystem conducted by research agency Arcane Research is set to be released alongside the documentary. Quote, Africa is one of, 
if not the most promising regions for the adoptions of cryptocurrencies, the report claims. Most of the continent is underserved by traditional financial services, with 66% having no access to a traditional bank account. But much of Africa still requires significant investment in crypto-specific infrastructures such as exchanges, as well as its internet and electricity networks per the report. Focus is often placed on investment, speculation, and trading, but Africa, more than any other continent, has a need for the utility of cryptocurrencies, according to the report. For example, cryptocurrencies could offer lower cost and faster remittance payments than current systems. Sending a payment of less than $200 to a sub-Saharan country costs an average of about 9% compared to the global average of 6.8%, while payments between countries are even more expensive. Crypto projects have not been slow to recognize the opportunity Africa offers, and the report highlights those most active in sub-Saharan Africa, including Acoin, an ambitious project building a crypto city in Senegal, and Sun Exchange, a peer-to-peer solar panel micro-leasing platform, as well as cryptocurrency platforms, Bitcoin Cash, Dash, and Electronium. Uh, what these projects have in common is that their successes in African markets have resulted from in-the-field action, said the report. Except for the scammers are in the field, guys. The scammers. That spirit also came across from the individuals featured in the documentary. Quote, Bitcoin has already shown how it is able to usher in a new and improved financial system across a region that has so desperately needed it, Marius writes, Africa manager at Luno said. The exchange was established in 2013 and most of its 4 million customers are in Africa. Africa is a big continent, man. But as the report highlights, Africa's lack of infrastructure and astonishing 57% of the region's population still lacks access to electricity is not an easy hurdle for Bitcoin to surmount. You're not going to solve all the problems. Certainly, Monero cryptocurrency contributor South African Ricardo Spangni said in the documentary, even if it just becomes a reserve currency, the local currency becomes less important. People can trivially shift from whatever the local currency is into Bitcoin. Now your reliance isn't on the government to keep the economy stable because you've got a fallback and that's very powerful, end quote. There are technologies where Africa could steal a march on the West. The so-called leapfrogging phenomena that could see innovations adopted more quickly as traditional infrastructure is less likely to exist. We were on 3G before the United States and most of Europe, Spagny pointed out. Perhaps the most inspirational story belongs to Lorian Gamaroff, founder of blockchain-based social outreach platform Usizo. Gamaroff was filmed in 2015 setting up an energy payments platform to enable donors to pay for electricity for schools in South Africa, where many rural communities are disadvantaged by an expensive and complicated system of paying up front. The system also relies on third parties to act as middlemen between end users and the power companies, a problem a blockchain-enabled smart meter would solve. Quote, it's not just a tech thing. It's not just a new invention. It's something that can actually help people, end quote, he said at the start of the film. The documentary shows him setting up the first demo of the system and builds in excitement as he waits with the school teachers for the funds to be transferred and the schoolhouse lights to go on. Miraculously, everything worked as planned. Well, that's the end of the article, but dude, that's a hell, that would be a hell of a scene, right? I mean, think about the power of that. You got a schoolhouse, there's no power, all the teachers, 
this guy out there waiting, sending a payment via Bitcoin, and boom, light goes on. Yep. That's actually, when you think about it, that's one powerful scene for what we're all trying, not, not that that's the only thing that we're trying to do, but one of the things that can be done, and God knows we probably have a whole host of shit to be able to identify as to what Bitcoin fixes. Prominent stock trader says 99.9% of crypto altcoins are going to zero. I Did I not have this set up? I did not. I uh, Come on, man. Hold, hold on. No, 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 I don't. I, I really need to have Dan Pena saying it's going to zero, like just right there ready for me to fire off, man, because zero, bro, zero. In 2017 and 2018, non-Bitcoin crypto assets, that's to say shit coins, were in vogue. They didn't say shit coins. Not a day would go by during the previous bull run without some no-name project, maybe with a market cap of a few million, rallying hundreds of percent. Oh, by the way, this is Nick Chong writing for Bitcoinist sometime this morning. At the time, mom and pop investors from around the globe were flooding into the cryptocurrency space, trying to turn 50 bucks worth of pocket change into a nice vacation, a down payment on a new car, or what have you. Since the peak of the bull market, though, many of these crypto assets have crashed spectacularly. Just as we warned, guys, just as we warned, as Matt Casto, an analyst at crypto asset trading firm CMT Digital Observed, most 2017 to 2018 ICOs are down dramatically from their all-time highs, but don't hold your breath waiting for another rally. As a growing number of analysts expect altcoins to crumble even further, even if Bitcoin enters a bull market. Stock trader and analyst Steve Burns recently said that he thinks 99.9% of altcoins are going to zero, zero over a buy and hold time frame, adding that he thinks so because they have zero value. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we haven't been trying to say this shit for years, but whatever, this comes as some optimistic cryptocurrency traders have expected an alt season, which theoretically would see altcoins outperform as they did in 2017 and early 2018, when all the scams were going. Burns is far from the first commentator to have shared such an opinion recently, per previous reports from Bitcoinist Kevin Rose, co-founder of Dig, and a general partner at True Ventures to talk crypto, recently told TechCrunch, quote, the problem is that 99% of the projects out there and a lot of the people who are behind them are just in this for the pure financial gain. And there's a lot of garbage out there, and that's unfortunate because it really drags down the high-quality projects, and it muddies the space quite a bit. End quote. Rose did admit that he sees a future in blockchain and crypto, but made it clear that many projects in this space aren't exactly above board. That's, that's being kind. Crypto-native analysts have echoed this point of view. The lead technical analyst at crypto research firm Blockfire recently shared the following statement, quote, the reason the alt pumps are unconvincing is because they have followed the same patterns, IEOs, interoperability, privacy coins moving together as coordinated as it has been the last three years instead of all ships rising together. The reason I'm going through that is that I've already read this, that particular quote, so I'm just getting through it. Technical analysis corroborates the sentiment that altcoins are poised to collapse, at least against the price of Bitcoin. 
Brave New Coin analyst Josh Olskowitz recently observed on May the 15th that Bitcoin's dominance chart the, had printed a textbook golden cross signal. As Investopedia notes, a golden cross occurs when a relatively short-term moving average crosses above a long-term moving average and is often followed by a bullish breakout. Can I get... Can I... Bye, bye, bye! Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. Now, the last one up in the stack is from Daily Hodl staff. Writing for the Daily Hodl sometime yesterday, crypto exchanges witnessed the largest drop in Bitcoin balances in history as mass BTC movement accelerates. My high fees, bro. Cryptocurrency traders continue to move their Bitcoin off of exchanges to private wallets at historic levels. Let me just hold it right there. A, not your keys, not your coins. And don't, I mean, honestly, dude, all these exchanges are just security holes waiting to be blown up, right? We see it all the time. Quadriga, Mt. Gox, you know, the uh, BlockFi, even though they didn't lose any coins, but they probably are going to lose somebody their life because the dumbasses were, took their private or their actual private addresses. I mean, my God, dude. And I honestly, I'm not sure exactly what is accelerating this. Maybe we'll find out in the article, but this is good. Okay. It's, it's good. It may suck for liquidity, but because of that, Price is probably going to go higher because people are going to say, shit, I want you to be liquid. How much will it cost me for you to liquidate? And then somebody will go, well, shit, $250,000 a coin, bro. Okay, so let's just sit back and watch this particular popcorn, popcorn show. Uh, new, well, let's see. Yeah, new data from Glassnode shows BTC bounces on leading cryptocurrency exchanges are witnessing the sharpest drop in history. Analysts at the data firm Analytics say the downtrend began in late March as Bitcoin began to recover from a major crash induced by fears over the economic impact over the coronavirus. Quote, the number of BTC on exchanges has been steadily decreasing since the crash in March and is now approaching a one-year low. This is the largest and most prolonged BTC exchange balance downtrend in Bitcoin's history. That's important to note, guys. The largest downtrend in the history of this son of a bitch is going on right now. Nobody's ever seen this one before, okay? This is important. Glassnode speculates that several factors may be behind the mass movement of BTC. Investors may be choosing to hold on for the long run and shifting their assets to cold storage or deciding it's best to hold their assets directly instead of relying on exchanges to do it for them. That's good practice. Quote, another partial explanation may be lack of trust. Withdrawals from BitMEX, which experienced downtime during the March crash, have been more pronounced than withdrawals from other exchanges. Overall, however, withdrawal from holding or hodling purposes seem to be having a greater effect than lack of trust. That's what I'm thinking, end quote. <clears throat> According to Glassnode, Bitcoin's on-chain fundamentals are strong, but analysts at the firm say their outlook is not overly bullish. Quote, while a post-having price increase is not out of the question, it is likely that the having is already priced in. <laughs> And that a breakout in the near future would be optimistic. Just look at the past two halvings, people. Honestly, 
that's gonna do it for the afternoon roundup whatever dad says jokes why yes he does in fact he's got a pretty good one here i i saw a documentary on how ships are kept together riveting riveting yes 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 all right bro where are we in today's show are we oh we're not even at an hour yet so i've been burning through these um yeah but that's pretty much all the news that i got uh i've been in physical therapy okay for my arm my little nerve thing that's going on here uh i my doc is actually saying you know what just honestly bro go i'll write you a reference go to physical therapy and they'll fix you up Shit's working. Is it is it good now? No. It's better. It's better. But it's, I mean, this is going to take a little while. This is going to take a little bit of work. And I'm going to have to figure out something else to do with my sitting down, doing this podcast and, and the pre and post production and stuff. I'll, I don't know. I'll figure it out. But until I do, or when I do, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.